Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. Andy, happy Monday. Feel, uh, I feel like that gets weirder <laughs> every time you do it, like more expressive. Yes, it is a happy Monday. Yeah. May rolls on. May ah, rolls on. Uh, weird weekend. <clears throat> it was nice getting through the... Yeah, weird weekend, but still, like, we got NBA playoffs going. We got NHL playoffs. It's still good. Um, Madrid Open. Such a good month of tennis. UCLs get wrapping up here. Um, Man City managed to get a result today. I love it. Well, um, I think the, I think today. UCL's over, but what, what are we going to talk UCL about? Because we're... So, yeah. So, two weeks ago. Three weeks ago? April 15th, whatever. If you want to go back, go back and check out Cognitive Biases Part 1. Uh, we did dive into the world of kind of the crossover between sociology, psychology, and sports betting uh, in in a way that was I and thought was pretty helpful. Yeah, right. And I, and I think it's it's a very helpful kind of discussion to have. This is obviously this is evergreen. This is not something that you absolutely have to listen to right now. We're going to give a lot of examples for the stuff we're talking about today as we dive into part two of this that are time. You can timely. skip like the first 10 minutes of part one as we talk about the master's result. Just uh, is that what it was? Yeah, we were no, so we were so pumped. And we it was exciting, but we did give some good examples. Yeah. And often, I mean, when is the sequel better than the original? Uh, I mean, certainly happens, not Caddyshack man. too. Certainly it does not happen. So we're gonna too. we're gonna attempt. Yeah. Uh, I'm, well, as we go through it, I'm gonna be like randomly interrupting you with uh, sequels that I think are better than the original. Well, I think, I think but, uh, we're gonna we, try. Yeah, this we, is, we, we just yeah. couldn't fit it all. In. Like there's we, we so rolled, many. Honestly, we're oh, not gonna no, fit no. all in two. We might no, we might do this again yeah, sometime. Sure. Some other ones. Yeah, come yeah. In a couple weeks, we have a bunch of um, but yeah, we rolled the Tiger Woods won the Masters into a discussion about outcome bias, I think, that was pretty good. Isn't that right? I can't remember exactly what we talked about with relating to, to Tiger, but but we basically were like, you know, is it, was I being biased thinking that now he has, should, should we should be grading his odds to win the next two majors higher because he won the masters i think like, i mean you know, recency bias yeah, recent oh that was without that was a recency bias example i think that's probably pretty true yeah we talked we talked talk gamblers yeah. fallacy yeah. a little yeah. on overconfidence um availability oh, got, heuristic last, last completely un, unrelated note to what we're going to talk about today I, you know you've heard the 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 rumors not tiger woods not only won a uh, uh the white house medal of honor today which was a little bit of a weird decision but that's fun uh but he uh he's got his yacht parked out in the uh outside of uh, beth page black and he's just been tearing up the course in prep for the pga championship have you caught wind of these stories yeah that's uh he's ready like he i think he is too i think uh as far as like putting putting the starch in his sails and the piss and vinegar back where it belongs he is like he's jacked i think you know, you can say everything about it's the Masters. It was a course he's played so many times, and he has an advantage just, you know, winning and being Tiger Woods. And maybe he won't go winning any more majors or even any more tournaments. But, I mean, the, the confidence that has to give a guy after that sort of a layoff, coming back for the surgeries and just uh, anybody who golfs knows how mental it is. Like there's a lot of, you, you know, you have to be able to replicate a swing perfectly and make sure you're doing everything right to get the ball to go where you want. But a lot of golf is played between the ears. And I, I would worry if I was the rest of the field and he is as confident as I think he can be. Cause I mean, I think the rest, he, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think, think also... anything would surprise me at this point. Point. I think you also hit another sociological, psychological phenomenon, which is the field is going to be thinking about it, right? I mean, like this is a tiger. Effect oh no, no, the and the, yeah, the like, rest they of literally the like, they, like, yeah, like the, whatever the opposite of confidence is, like just yes. knowing, oh shit, like the old man's. It's weird him being the old man. I remember when he was, <laughs> you know, this this amateur. Oh, it's uh, it's getting old sucks. I don't know. It's cool because we remember we remember all those uh, times. But it is weird, Tiger being the old guard now. But yeah, the the rest of the field. 
I made the joke. Uh, some schmuck tweeted back at me about like, uh, you know, Finau and Molinari having to play with Tiger on a Sunday. Good fucking luck, guys. And somebody said, "Well, you should never come back when he hasn't led on Sunday." Well, that was young Tiger. Old Tiger does what he does. He's a he's a different, uh, whole different breed now. He can do it all. It's true, man. And honestly, I, it did kind of surprise me that he won because because that was, uh, I mean, that was a thing. What, what's the bias there? Tigers never come back on a Sunday and won a Masters or won a major. Oh, what is that? He has to be uh, on a Sunday to win it. Because it's never happened, it won't ever happen. I mean, that's just a uh, shitty trend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what is that? Damn it. I mean, I think it's anchoring. Don't you think you're just using that information too strongly and it's just anchoring? I also bias? think it's I think it's also availability heuristic too, because like you don't have a, a evidence true. of it happening, you assume it can't happen, which is actually not no real thing but yeah okay let's let's get into cognitive biases part two today i don't really have any hot takes in the derby i was disappointed with the outcome itself although i kind of get from the horse racing community at large and the people who really know and understand horse racing well that that was the correct decision it was still frustrating as hell Uh, i lost a good chunk of change on an exacta 720 that uh was in that i was already spending uh, but, uh, and overall the, the day of horse racing was a little up and down. I didn't win any, you know, significant money on the, on the weekend. And, and the event itself was so, you know, was just kind of a cultural, uh, phenomenon, everybody having commentary and, and it felt like a lot of people had maximum security tickets who did not get paid. Uh, obviously the money in the pool gets redistributed to country house winners, but, uh, all that said, uh, it was a weird derby, and uh, Preakness uh, should be a very interesting race to handicap in two weeks. So, uh, maximum security is out, and uh, there are some new players joining the uh, the race that are going to be fun to, to handicap. Uh, any other thoughts on Derby weekend? Did you get your checklist done? Oh goddamn! Right. Ah, I didn't. I didn't hit my long shot. You know what? This is uh, this is a oh, Jesus. I got a dog freaking out here. Um, my long shot. Didn't get hit, even though I tried at some random tracks. And I thought, shit, I'm probably not going to bet anymore. Should I just put like 10 bucks on like the three longest horses in the Derby? And then the lines were long. And I'm like, ah, what are the odds? <laughs> so, whoops. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, you know, the rest, of the, the rest of the checklist got done. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, and I got, to bet a ho- I got to bet a horse this time. Yeah. I hope you had a fun, fun weekend, fun day at the track. I had fun weekend out on Catalina. I uh, went out for a rugby tournament up in uh, Avalon Canyon. It was uh, extremely nice. Maybe probably the nicest weather that I've ever experienced on Avalon and, and in Catalina before. And, and it was pretty incredible. So that was a nice little getaway weekend. Always feels like you're kind of getting out of the country uh, when you head over to Catalina from Long Beach. But um, so worthy trip for anyone in Southern California looking for something to do. Check out uh, the boat ride over to Catalina. The um, uh, the NBA playoffs offer a million opportunities to dive into some of these cognitive biases part two. Uh, I, I mean, we could honestly kind of go down a list here and hit another five today. Uh, just as a reminder, we hit recency bias. We hit outcome bias. We hit overconfidence. We hit clustering illusion, which is also known as the gambler's fallacy. And we hit the availability heuristic. Uh, in uh, in part one, uh, we'll hit five more today. Does that sound fair? Yeah, there's some good ones. I think. Okay, we, cool. I think we found another good set of, and we have some good examples too. It's fun. Yeah, to, uh, yeah. Uh, not maybe yeah. the fun's the wrong word, but like it, it's nice that if we Worthwhile. can give some real world examples right, in our case. Right. I think a lot of people can you know relate to some of the. They'll probably relate to a few of these stories. Yeah. Okay. So let's start. Let's start with anchoring. Does that sound good to you? Anchoring is probably is maybe one of the most important yeah, to really kind of get your hand your head wrapped around um, because anchoring bias it has so many different applications in the world of sports betting because regardless of how you approach a handicap regardless of how you approach sports betting you have a starting point when you hear a line when you see a number 
the first thing, you know, first that that's, you know, number one, you have some preconception before you hear that line. And then number two, once you know that line, that becomes a piece of information that, that tends to anchor you in, in terms of how you, you know, what you expect in the event itself. And all of this stuff drastically influences, you know, the, the way, unless you're a, a freaking robot and you're only, you know, crunching an algorithm to tell you what the expected prices are. If any, any human being uh, goes through this uh, in terms of, you know, making decisions on who to bet on and, and how to, how to place wagers. Um, anything you want to kind of put a finer point on the definition of yeah, anchoring, you, anchoring bus? You raised a good point there with the, uh, <clears throat> the secondary information. And I mean, hopefully it's a secondary information at that point, you already have kind of an idea, but once you see the line come out, <clears throat> let's say you lined a game at minus 10 for the home team and it comes out at, you know, minus four way, way off six yeah. points, huge amount off. Like, where do you sit as far as our, and I don't think this is a black and white, you know, 100% one way or the other, but you can either say I have an enormous edge or you can say I am an enormous idiot and I'm, <laughs> I'm way off. I don't know. Like, yeah. what am I missing? How did I screw this up? Like, and, and I think you need to find a balance between that. It's like yeah. when I, with my college basketball, when I would make a bet, I would start doing that first and look on the ones that were off. I mean, those are the ones I bet. I made lines and then I looked at the openers and the ones that were way off, I'd bet. So yeah. that was the due diligence I'd always talk about. I'd look like, hey, is somebody, you know, is somebody important injured, maybe injured? Is something weird happening? Is it a travel thing? What's going on here? And then if not, I just, I'd bet it. So, I mean, yeah. you, you do need to double check things. I, I'm not saying just, you know, don't, don't let that affect you at all and have, you know, just be a ballsy robot that just bets whatever. Double yeah, check, yeah. do due diligence, yeah. but don't, don't let that information, you know, like, like the name implies, don't let it anchor you to uh, just say, well, I mean, it was way off. This information scares me off a bet. Because yeah, of, right, you know, right, right. I think if you, if you are making plus EV decisions and you are, you know, your handicap prior to the lines coming out is, is, you know, predictive and you're, you're a long-term winning better, you know, letting that affect you is going to cost you money. Yeah. And you know, the, the example you brought up of, let's say you line a game home team minus 10 and the book opens at minus four. Uh, this happens to me in the NBA every week. Every single week, I'll have a side or a total that is off by at least six points. And I always stops me in my tracks. And the first thing I assume is there's something I don't know about this game. You know, and so it's kind of up to you doing a due diligence handicap at this point, like comb for information, get some sense. Is Kawhi Leonard sitting? Is that why the Raptors are off by six points? Is, uh, you know, is, is, is there something if they integrated? Uh, you know, some new wrinkle the coach said in the shoot around, he's going to put the ball in, you know, he's going to take the ball out of Kyrie Irving's hands and he's going to put it in uh, Tatum's hands tonight or something. You know what I mean? Like, is there some, something about that, the, the coach decision-making or the player availability that's impacting that line move? Uh, and if you can kind of rule that out, um, then it's really up to you to just kind of, you know, take a stand on your line and recognize that even if you are correct and if the line is wrong in your direction, it may not move all the way. It's not going to move all the way to 10 because anchoring bias influences the market as well. Like there will be some people who sit and watch that number drift off from four to six and say, yeah, I'm buying back. There's value in this now. Like I, I think the the opening number is, you know, the book's always right on these sort of things. They know better than them then whoever's out there hammering away on, on the home team and therefore I'm going to come back on the other side. So it tends to, you know, you, you tend, you, you know, we say, you know, closing lines are, are generally efficient and, you know, without a doubt, the, the size of the pool and liquidity involved is a direct correlation to how efficient the closing numbers are going to be. But there is certainly an anchoring bias that exists as far as lines moving from open to close. Um, and, but, but, but even more so, and some, think, some lines are inherently bad. Like, you know, minus, let's say same example, minus 10 might not be accurate, but you might be on the right side. And if it opens minus four, like we said, and you are scared off by that. And then you look back, you know, 40 minutes later and it's up to six and a half, you're going to feel dumb. Like, Oh, I was right. 
I got scared and uh, I missed <laughs> gave away out two on points. a yeah. shitload of value. You just yeah, gave it away. And, and, yeah. You know, you should always know, like, yeah, not, nothing you do is going to be perfect. Nobody's, even the best pros are not perfect, but just knowing that, you know, you had a, unless you're going like full Kelly betting on that stuff, then that, that might be a little scary if you, if you are using a staking system and you show a, you know, a giant percentage advantage on a game, but yeah, just sure. know that uh, by I the mean, time you uh, get, we yeah, say this over right. and over, trust, trust your shit, trust your shit. And yeah. unless you're losing, you should trust your shit. Right. It's true. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there, there are a ton of, uh, of ex other examples that we can kind of dance around here. Um, I will just kind of close that point about, uh, being off the opening number with, you know, in the NBA, it's like a 50, 50 shot that there is someone resting and no one knows except for, you know, whoever put the line out there because they do have inside information for sure. Um, so, you know, that's, yeah, I think know. the NBA might be, <laughs> NBA is, might be a bad yeah, example for this. Yeah, one. Right, right. If it's, Although, if it's um, I did then, want to bring up Adam's yeah. article. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah. friend Plenty of, of other a couple times, Adam, Chern Adam Chernoff. Um, we should, we'll probably post a link to this. It's just an article on medium. It's not even very long, but, um, in some of the research we were doing leading up to these, we read that article again and he had a good example, and it, it does hit home when you think about it. it. Even knowing the information, the basis of handicapping information, you go from game one and game two in an NBA playoff series at home to traveling. And let's, you know, if you're game one and game two at home, you're the higher seed, you're the home team, so you should be the better team. In your head, you already have that information. This is a good team. This is a team probably favored to win the series. And then all of a sudden, a team that's been favored two games travels. And then all of a sudden, you're getting a much, much lower line. And you know, you know for a fact, like that's that's handicapping 101. Maybe not even. That's like handicapping kindergarten. When you're not at home, <laughs> you lose your home field. You know, you lose your home court advantage, and you have to add. There's, there's a big six, seven, eight-point swing. In these, in these, from game two to game three, but it's still the moment you look at that line, just like uh, the example would be the Warriors uh, Rockets. Like, oh shit, Warriors getting four. Warriors are they're supposed to win the title. Like, yeah, it's a lot of points. I don't care if they are in Houston. And I mean, you see how that's a, I mean, that example is like tailor made because how did that go for you if you took Warriors yeah. plus four? <laughs> well. Um, but I mean Steph that, that is even just even the Steph Curry the oh, fact that Steph it was the Steph Curry, Curry missed dunk that swung that unbelievable. Then that that was my friend the, Calhoun can dunk. Unreal. Steph Curry can dunk. Logged. <laughs> Steph Curry cannot dunk. Logged. Um, cannot so, dunk. but um, yeah, that, and that that was a great example I thought in there, and we'll, we will uh, post a link to that. It's a pretty good little article about that. Yep, and I agree. I, I mean, it's it's a very you know, and and anchoring can refer to a lot of things. That's a good one. Uh, especially cause like, you know, you've got it, you've got preconceived notions of how long the series will go. Uh, you got preconceived notions that are informed by the series price at any given time. Like, you know, that's the, the whole thing. You just hit on it. How did we not say preconceived notions yet? Yeah. Right. Like preconceived. Have, have, I mean, that's the whole, the whole shebang is preconceived notions. Right. And the trick is basically then, yeah. to to kind of to um to cubbyhole some of the preconceived notions in a way that doesn't shade your handicap so that you are effectively grabbing the side that you perceive to be value because your gut is saying something and really your gut is just informed by some anchoring bias that has nothing to do with uh, the appropriate handicap on the game. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, similar, you know, I mean, there's the shit. There's a, oh, you know what? Another one of my favorite examples for, for, um, uh, for anchoring biases is week one NFL what sides. Week one NFL sides. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. This is, this is every year you can you get a free couple free bets on this. Uh, there, it will be a game between a team on the road who is in the playoffs last year, who has a regular season win total in like the eight or nine or 10 range, who is expected to be good, expected to challenge for the playoffs again. They will be on the road against a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. That is not, it has a regular season wins in the five, six range. Uh, and just on the, 
basis of how somebody is anchored in terms of the regular season performance, they will make a play on the road team, lay points even, uh, and it's completely misinformed by you know their perception of how a team's going to go over the course of the season, not that specific game. Um, and uh, boy, I mean, I bet you we could look down week one of the NFL and point some I mean, of the just, games out that are going to be like. How about that. just week one of the Patriots every every year? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I mean, yeah. for the last decade, we should look at that. Yeah, because you know how their their early season spoon is so. Yep. All right. Yep, yep, yep. What's yep, our yep. what's the next bias? Okay. Um let's Another flip good over. One. I we didn't really decide on an order, so just spin the wheel of biases. Uh, okay. Uh let's talk about loss aversion. Because this one's pretty this one's pretty oh, fun. God. And it's not on the uh, on the standard um you know, kind of the standard standard chart. Um and loss aversion, I think there's a couple of ways to kind of go about this, but why don't you take a first swing on kind of how you would define loss aversion? It hurts worse to lose than it comparatively feels good to win. I mean, it just is what it is. Like somebody, you could know in your mind that you have a plus EV bet, but knowing like just knowing you could lose money compared to knowing you could win money it's it's a stronger force it's a stronger pull and it always will be for some reason it's tough and sometimes it can be based on i mean just your even like let's say you had a bad weekend and you have a smaller bankroll and you're or maybe you don't have all your bankroll in a book and you're down to like your last 50 bucks in there or something and you have a really good play you trust this play but it's it it would hurt way worse to go to zero to put that 50 bucks <laughs> on this team that you have a really good read on than it would to double up, you know, and, and you might be hesitant to make that play. It, and it's true. It, this is, I mean, this is proven. It, it is, it is, it hurts much worse to lose than it feels good to win. And it, it can be based on, you know, outside factors like that, like the bankroll factor. And an example I thought of was again, going back to college basketball, um, Late in the year, I was at a nice round even number of units won. And, I mean, we were getting down to the end of it. Where oh, there yes. Were very few games left. This happened to and me. And I remember, like, yeah. yeah. And I sat and thought, of, there was a game I was looking at, and I thought, like, oh, man, like, this might be the last bet I make for the season. I don't know. Like, I, I can't look into the future. There's not many games left, though I know that. Said. So, if I lose this game, which I would have played 10 times out of 10 because it met all my criteria for my, you know, my, my model and my criterion I was using for the whole season. So if I lose this play, I'll go under 50 units for the, for the season. But, and, and that, that would have hurt way, way worse than going to like 51 because I just would bet one. And, and it really, really took a lot for me to pull. The, I could, I'm like, I could just call it a season, and then I will. I did look this up. That play lost, and then I I do remember then like the next day there was another play, and I, it took zero thought to make that bet because I'm like, yeah, what's the difference between 48 and 49? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like I'd, I'd much rather like in that in that case it's it's like it's like you know I I would yeah. love to get back over 50, and yeah. but it, it wasn't in, in it. It's stupid because, like, uh, we should look into that. Why nice round even numbers are, you know, it's like the person playing the slot machine, dude. This happens. They hit a big win and they're like, "I'm I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play it down to play it down to a thousand. You know, they they win like an eleven hundred dollar jackpot or something, and then they're like, you know what? I'm gonna play this hundred dollars. I'm just gonna play it down to a thousand. Yeah, this happens. You know, you you think you think like in your mind you're willing to give that up. Uh, Round nice round even numbers. That's a that's a topic for a different day. But yeah, no. And for the record, that second play, Florida International plus eight, that one. Nice. They went all right. So back up above. But no, I just remember like thinking about that in my head. Like I knew for a fact that I was letting a bias affect me. I'm like, I don't even even care. There was a moment where I was I was like yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm like I might just do I might just call the season anyway. And whatever. I just made those <laughs> last two plays regardless. 
No, dude, that happened two years ago. I was so close to being plus money on the season in the NBA, and I wanted it so bad. I was like minus one or minus two with like, you know, three, five, three or four days in the season left. And I buried another eight units trying to break, get over, trying to get over 500. Yeah, I mean, not not 500, but just get into plus, plus, you know, money units territory. Uh, I went from like minus two to minus 10 chasing that. Uh, It was embarrassing. Uh, And then uh, similarly, like uh, this year, definitely at the end of the NBA season, like, you know, there was bets to be made that's to be one, but I was playing full on protecting my stack down the stretch because I was like, ah, there's higher uncertainty. Like a lot of teams not trying and didn't really want to do the handicapping work to, to really try to, you know, sift through the, the shitty plays to find the value one. So I just kind of mailed it in for the last couple, couple weeks. Um, but yeah, protecting your stack. That happens to me every time I play poker too. Protecting you do, your stack. Yeah. You do pretty well in poker. You're, well, I'm not only that, but I, it like, makes me think of a good idea. Take a risk. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it makes me think of another example. I don't remember who it was. It was one of those grumpy old Seville guys, but it was uh, he was making fun of somebody who had a pretty high winning record over a real short sample size, and he was pretty much razzing him like, well, it, you know, if you have uh, an ROI this high, you're leaving a lot of money on the table by not playing smaller edges. Like having yeah. an ROI of the size, I mean, and and that hit home because I'm like, shit, should I be playing more games? But that that's true too. Um, um, maybe not. I I don't want to go full off, fuck your bankroll, and bet you know bet everything you have, uh, raise your unit size huge if you think you have a plus plus EV play or a plus EV system. But you know, not not playing enough when you when you actually do have edges. Yeah, you know, yeah. Even even like unit, you know, I, I don't want to. Gosh, this is it's getting into dark territory. We're telling to like people to jack their units up, but going <laughs> too small on your on the stuff that you, you know, that is loss aversion. Like, ah, you know what? I'm still not sure this is a winning strategy. Yes, I'm not going to bet any more than this. I'm, I'm it's still just going to be like a half percent play. Like that, that's loss aversion. That's affecting your ROI. Yes, you it is. Trust your shit. Similar uh, loss aversion in a different, entirely different context now. Um, The idea of not wanting to play a money line underdog uh, when you're projecting 46% win percentage, but it's a plus 200 on the money line, right? Like this is something that takes relatively, this this is something that takes new betters a, a good amount of time to kind of overcome. Um, the idea of I'm playing something that I'm calculating has a less than 50, 50 chance of even happening. Um, but there's value there. So I'm playing it right. And, and, and vice versa, like playing a minus, you know, put it parlaying a bunch of, uh, you know, minus 700 parlay legs together in tennis because you're like, well, these are all high confidence that, the, you know, that they're going to win. They're all like, you know, minus 700s. I'd rather do that than, than take, play the opposite sides of those and play seven dogs and, and expect two of them to win. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, there's a specific, uh, kind of, you know, zero risk type of, uh, you know, you do not want to be the one that is risking at some point that impacts your decision-making that you need to kind of get over it or just, you know, oh, know yeah. that it's possible, you know, and, and that, you, know, that, you know, that's a great example. The, the money line thing at the beginning, uh, as far as, um, and I, I think I'm gonna, I might even write something up about my strategy here as that's evolving slowly as I start to bet some golf. But um, you know your your strategy in NBA, which we've talked about, and if people aren't familiar with that, you sell points. You use five dimes. Uh, I think Nitrogen lets you, or Heritage, Bookmaker, a couple places where you can, if the line's minus three, and you're betting the favorite. You're, you're taking a minus four or as far out as you can go. Same yeah. thing with the dog. If it's plus two, you might be betting, you know, plus one or the money line. Yep. And people, I don't know if that's loss aversion, but I think, I think it's it does a, need oh, to be said. Yeah, no, no, no. In basically any, it is, it is, but basically any sport, um, and gosh, I'm, I'm going to write an article about this eventually, but I will give away the Kool-Aid here. So, Buying points in the NFL is not bad. And as much as you've heard, you should not buy points in the NFL. 
it's there not a bad categories. strategy. There are three to categories. buy off the there seven. Time, no, 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 yeah. no. I'm not, and I'm like, so good. like yeah. buying okay, off the three ahead, or the seven. Yeah, no, and, and it it would be it's it would be a plus EV move to buy off the three or the seven both ways if the book offered it for ten cents. So sure. like there is if you could ever get the price. It, it is a plus CV move if you could get it for 10 cents, like, you know, they did forever and a day ago, but the books know what it's worth and they overcharge you. So the, the buying points is not bad. It's the price. That's where it becomes a bad decision. And I mean, the, they have the people that have done the math to know what it costs them to give away that half point in any sport and they charge accordingly. And it is always overpriced there will never be a situation almost almost never in the buying of points is a good decision in the nfl because because of what they charge and it, i think it goes for a lot of these sports and i'm looking at uh matchups in golf where it's plus one and a half strokes and you're paying a big juiced price or you can just take the matchup and get a plus 120 and uh yeah. i think buying yeah. strokes is a bad idea I'm, I'm starting to look into that in baseball betting the plus one and a half not a good idea for the most part. Just bet that, that money line. In the long term, it's going to come out a lot better for you rather than games that will end as a one-run loss. And like, oh, I, uh, that, that's an outcome bias. That's a hindsight bias. You're going to remember that yeah. time that you bet a plus one and a half and got it instead of the times where you bet the money line and made 30 cents more or way no, more the, than that. The, the uh, trick the price, is, yeah. The price should be yeah. a lot bigger. The trick is you should you it's should like, know. Yeah, like you, you, should, you should know. You should do your homework and know what every half point is worth to buy and sell because it's a two-way market and if it's if they are overcharging you to buy a point buy the hook protect yourself this is this is the rub say understand say it loud and proud (laughs) undercharging if they're then then they are then they are underselling the other side of that in my experience and so you know you you should just you should know uh, you know what what it's worth, and you know if you look and and granted, like you know it'll it'll hurt you in NFL when you're dealing with small sample size. It, it can hurt bad, uh, and you'll remember the times that you didn't buy the hook and lost or pushed because of it, and that's it'll sting, uh, especially in something like the NFL, which is such an efficient market. By the time you get to Sunday, and some people are just making their plays on Sunday, so it's a it's very very. Um, it's very dicey to uh, to get to and and you know people will go to their graves saying I always buy an extra point I always do it and rest assur- rest assured the bookmakers know this and they let them buy this for more than it's worth and in doing that oh yeah the it pads it pads their advantage in the long run. And, you know, so if you're, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're adding juice just to make yourself feel better, the issue is if you didn't have uh, an advantage at three at standard VIG, you absolutely did not, do not have an advantage at three and a half at standard VIG plus what they're, what they're giving, what they're, they're uh, offering you Minus to buy. Exactly. Right. Whatever that price is. Yeah. Right. Right. So if you don't have an advantage at one, you almost certainly don't have an advantage at the other in general. Uh, and so, you know, just yeah. kind of have that in mind when it comes to buying and selling. And, you know, my experience in general in the NBA is they know that there are a lot of players in the marketplace who will just buy points for protection because it makes them feel better. Cause now instead of a 50, 50 sort of chance or 52, 53% chance, they feel like they have a 58% chance, but they guess what they've paid 60% worth. So it's, it's, um, it's valuable in my opinion to stack those pennies in the NBA to sell those points when available, especially because, you know, there, I, my, at least in my experience, broadly stated, there really aren't kind of key points in the NBA until you get really tight around them, you know, around zero. Um, and there's absolutely no no key points in totals and totals missed by a fucking mile all the time. So, you know, and yeah, I'll go to that. my my golf. Uh, my golf. I, I played matchups, which, by the way, I just gotta stop playing out. Outrights are scratch off tickets. God, they're fun, but uh, like golf outrights are that's just heroin. I should stop doing that altogether. But I got <laughs> to. I got to the point where stop doing heroin altogether. Yes, I agree. 
Yeah, heroin heroin is terrible, but I will so like I played eight golf matchups. Um yep. I had a withdraw, I had a couple people miss the cut, and then I had another guy withdraw. Four of them were decided. All four underdogs. All four were winners. Yeah. By by a Saturday morning. And I was I had won money at that point on matchups. Because and all of those were available at like minus one thirty, minus one forty, minus one fifty to give yourself a stroke and a half a buffer, plus one and a half strokes. But sure. instead I played them all just on the money lines because I feel like in the long term there's gonna be so few matchups that land right on that plus one. And granted, I did take a push. I took uh, one of my one of my plays ended up pushing, where I, I could have had that, and I, I have to sit and struggle with that kind of bias as far as that outcome bias not making me bet those plus one and a halfs. But if I'd have played all four of those at plus one and a half strokes, I would have also been four and all, but I would not have guaranteed a winning. You know, I, it would have been like I don't know, like forty cents worse on every win. No, I, whereas I was sitting on four plus money winners at that point, I only had four plays to go. I was already up. Like it's just, yeah. it's just a much better feeling to to sell the strokes long term. I think it's always going to come out. I, I still have to do some back testing on that. Maybe some golf guys can chime in on that. But uh, yeah, uh, I think loss aversion and selling points, runs, goals, strokes, whatever you want to call it. I think that's always going to turn out okay. Yeah, I especially if you're agree. doing the work. Well, completely, we got loss aversion. God, we really yeah. got into that one. That's a great one, though. I mean, it's 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 something that absolutely impacts you, and I think these stories probably ring ring true to a lot of a lot of the betters out there. Maybe um, maybe my favorite one. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think that's my favorite. Oh, advice, oh yeah. My <laughs> okay. Advice. Well, you pick which loss one you want to do next. Do you have pick, a favorite? Uh boy. Outcome bias. Outcome bias is because people drive me is freaking nuts with this. Outcome one. bias is probably my favorite because if you can get it's over that, you can, if you can get over it, then you can improve your ability as a as a player substantially. If you can sort out you through your own results what was luck based and what was um, you know true advantage, then you can get to a place much faster where you have confidence that you know you have an edge does that make sense so I, yeah I maybe think, i feel like do you remember like that do you remember what i said off the air about it maybe you can take that and sharpen that up a little because i felt like i just rambled and rambled and <laughs> no, you, you know, as far as i don't know you go do you remember well i talked about like you know just the and maybe i i'm gonna take this and see if you can sharpen it a little okay, i feel like you know the, if you let the outcome affect your future handicap you bet on team a to win team a wins by a freaking landslide they just crush them but maybe and then maybe you just you don't even look at that box score you don't go and look back at the reasoning you're just smug happy little better with your win or you know you lose one in a landslide and you don't go back and look at that one you don't you don't use it to uh you don't use that information that you should be to further your handicapping as you go forward. Maybe it's something like college football where you have win totals or uh, power power numbers, mm -hmm. a sport like that where you do use a, a power number for somebody and you're overreacting or underreacting based on an outcome. Or, you know, just uh, going forward, you know, you bet on a team, they crushed it. So you're more likely to bet on that team going forward. Whereas maybe that was just yeah. the perfect spot. Yeah, instead right. of uh, I have I have that team nailed, I'm going to make some money on this team going forward. Letting yeah. the outcome rather than how the outcome came to be is going to negatively affect you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that I think that was well said. I don't know that that needs a ton of sharpening, but I do think that uh, without a doubt, um, being able to sort luck, lucky results, good and bad. Uh, and being kind of eyes wide open about that is extremely important. 
uh, in terms of self-evaluation, in terms of, in, you know, the ongoing, you want to constantly be trying to improve your methodologies and, you know, what you're, you know, how you're, you're approaching handicapping. And if you can, you know, if you can get a hold of, you know, what would qualify as, as lucky or, um, unlucky and, you know, dissociate that from the result then you know now you're not being results based as as uh, as significantly and and you know it's because guess what a lot of a lot of very good systems a lot of very good handicapping approaches can go on a sustained losing streak at the onset of the of application right nothing really i mean i i talked about this with related to NBA regular season this year. I did extremely poorly in the first month of the season. Like I contribute, you know, I mean, like, like I, I point to, I had poor, uh, you know, priors established for a lot of teams uh, and in doing, and I, and it took me a while to um, adequately capture the impact of the changes to the rules regarding possessions and pace that was going on. Um, And, just because of all that, like I did quite poorly uh, and buried myself in like a 20 unit hole over the course of like a month and change. Uh, and, you know, it's at that, I, nothing fundamentally changed about the way I was doing things between that, that, you know, then and Christmas, but I dug myself out of the hole, uh, you know, with, and a lot of it was because of being able to look at the results through, you know, without glasses on that were shading that, you know, that, that forced me down the wrong road or making tweaks to the model that didn't, shouldn't have been done. And, you know, and this has happened to me in years past, the other way around, having like brilliant priors going on a hellacious winning streak at the beginning of the season. And then assuming that I had it all figured out and not really looking closely at the results to, you know, to, to try to refine things and adapt things and improve things uh, such that you can carry on winning. And, you know, that was actually a big deal for me this year that, that set this year's performance in the NBA aside from years past where, you know, I got into the December timeframe and I just dumped, you know, gave all these, you know, gave all my winnings back after having a hot November. So, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you always have in the back of your mind, if you're, you know, if you're a player and you've gone on sustained winning streaks, like how much of this was luck, right? Like if, like once you've been doing this for enough years, you kind of sitting there waiting for variants. Exactly. You're like, right. It absolutely happens. And you know, it's, it's a good exercise to try to, you know, sort your results in a way, qualify, classify them in a way, you know, just, just have like three columns, uh, you know, in, in, you know, next to where you, wherever you're tracking and say like this, you know, I'm going to score after, after looking at, you know, I didn't watch this game necessarily, but I watched a couple of highlights. I looked at the box score. I absolutely had this one nailed that this was a brilliant read, had it nailed. Uh, this one was a poor read. I missed something fundamental. And then all of the rest of these were bees. They were 50, 50, I, you know, the refs called foul at the end. I got a win because I like that. Jesus. It, you know, so why have you never yeah. told me this? It's <laughs> a good idea. I, I don't know. I've been friends but, for know, years good, now, yeah. and you fucking <laughs> spring this on me on the podcast. Um, no shit, I love yeah, it. Great, I was gonna yeah, say, no, you know, defense, I, my, yeah. my my lead example there was your team wins that you bet on wins by a billion, and you just yeah. put your hands behind your head and kick it back, drink your lemonade, and say, "I nailed it." Instead of looking, like you said, doing the doing the box score dive, looking into what happened, I'm not saying that can't be the result. You could look at it and be like, "Holy shit, I I did nail this!" Like everything, I could have written script for this game. That happens. I mean, that happens absolutely. sometimes where you just absolutely uh, nail one, and and some of it's luck. You know, there's some luck involved, but a lot of it is you know just taking the time and being a good handicapper. That can be the result. I'm not saying that you have to like dive into the box and to prove yeah. why you were lucky or variance won the game for you. Right. Like, I mean, can, it can be an A game, like you said, for sure. Yeah. 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 And it's easy. It's especially easy to do in the NFL. And I would recommend if you're looking for a starting place to do it in the NFL, because in the, because, and really like I did this last year and 
you know, I kind of tracked it along with the situational spots I was keeping an eye on week in, week out. But like I graded every single result, like not even beyond just the ones that I bet on. Like, and basically we're like, okay, like, yeah, this team won, but it was lucky. Uh, and, you know, you can actually even use if you are doing Bengals that, week one. Bengals week one, great example. Um, I'll take the money, but we didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's and there were a bunch of lucky wins, and you you know you can get a you can get a sense of even if you're not betting, you know the the Bears and or the Dolphins and the Dolphins win a lucky ass game two weeks in a row. Like even if you didn't bet those two spots, if you're keeping track of that and you're like, wow, the Dolphins have really put together two lucky ass wins. Uh, now you can pretty much infer from that that the market and that the power numbers that people are using broadly to set the uh, set the price on the, the game after two lucky wins is going to have some, you know, some BS in it, right? Like you can absolutely apply these things, uh, you know, beyond just your, you know, how your model, how your projections are performing against the outcomes uh, and just look at the market as a whole in a sport like the NFL because, you know, there's only 16 games a week. So it's doable. Uh, and I would recommend everybody give and that. A, I mean, outside of outside of NBA playoffs, I think NFL, just NFL in general, is the biggest overreaction market you'll see. Yeah, like, there are yeah. some wild ass overreactions. It's it's. Uh, I enjoy that thoroughly. Yep, absolutely. Because if you are betting early, if you're looking at Sunday numbers, you can you can pick some of those out, especially in totals. Yep, yep, yep. Strong agree. Um. What's another one we wanted to hit today? Let's get, let's hit two more. Hindsight. Hindsight. Uh, yeah, I, I almost wanted to like put hindsight with outcome, but they are slightly different. They are. Hindsight bias yeah. is like you you know you, you make a prediction, it comes true, and you you knew it all along. Where all you know you probably didn't. Like even without you know the maybe the process of how it gets done, you just you you made some sort of prediction that came true, and you feel you feel good about it, and you say, "Well, I, I knew that was going to happen," and that's I mean that's a huge bias. I, I I don't know what the great example for that would be with sports. I didn't. Uh, I I mean I honestly, honestly, one. I mean, honestly, uh, like a great everything. example, great example. Let's let's say that you listen to this podcast um, right before week one of the NFL season, and you decided not to buy the hook on some game because you heard us talking about how it wasn't valuable, and you didn't buy the hook, and because of that, you lost your wager. Right? You're gonna look back on that, and if you and tell yourself, "Damn it, I should have bought the hook." The next thing you know, you have now <laughs> made that like a core tenant you know, of your belief system as you're going through it, you know, making handicapping decisions. So, you know, you, where you, where you have to be very conscientious and careful of hindsight biases, not taking away a lesson that is, is, um, going to lead you to, um, you know, making bad plays. Yes. Right. Uh, great. You know, we talked about it with Spoon, and this was especially funny because you know, I'm sure you saw the Spoon put out that NBA play yesterday on first half under on the Raptors and the uh, and Sixers. It was a great yeah. freaking look. He tweets it, line plummets like four points. It was hysterical, and um, and it was a never in doubter. I mean, like that was an absolutely spectacular look. We talked about it on the podcast we did with him. There are people out there who are just like, it's an early game. It's a Sunday. The players aren't are going to be out of rhythm or out of you know out of uh, uh, out of sorts because they're used to playing later. Therefore, I'm going to play the under. Not at all considering like what adjustments specifically the Raptors and the Sixers were going to make heading into that game. Completely missing the fact that you know Embiid was was sick and was going to be putting in significant minutes in that first half under you know under the weather. Like all, all kinds of other things were at play that led to that under. But if you went into it thinking this is it's going to go under because it's an early tip, like, and you didn't play it, you could look at that result after and be like, God damn it. Like I knew I should have played the, you know, the, the first half unders. On oh the yeah. It can games, go both ways. You know? It doesn't have to yeah. be uh, trends. This, this, marries with, you made. This, can be... this can marry with trends. This can, this can marry the, the ref. The ref stuff is big. Right now in the NBA, and there is one million percent 
kernels of truth in this. Early in these series, the refs want relatively competitive games. They want these series to go long, and it's in incentives are aligned. Like this is not a, a BS, uh, you know, uh, uh, sentiment here. And you know, the NBA is assigning refs that they know have you know certain proclivities for for refing games a certain way. And you know, it's if. If you see a you know a tweet, oh man, the you know the Celtics have lost every time this guy rests their game, and you're like, oh, that's nonsense. And then they actually it actually comes through. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, the hindsight of oh wow, oh shit, why this, didn't I bet that I read why that? Why didn't I bet I, that? Yeah. I read that. Yeah, Th- these types of things absolutely um, can scramble you and send you down you know paths where you're you know where you're 100 uh, percent convinced of X, Y, and Z. And in reality, the uh, you know the reasons for for you know the the outcome themselves are are unrelated entirely. So, um, you know, hindsight is is nasty that way, and it almost always kicks in when you when you lose uh, or when you don't place the winning bet that you that you thought about. Um, and honestly, like the real the real thing you need to keep in mind. What, as it relates to hindsight bias and the real danger of all this is that it can, it's got to be up there among the highest contributors to going on tilt. Like if you're kind of new to gambling and the emotional part of I was going to say that about outcome lows, bias too. I forgot yeah, to spit that in yeah. there. Um, yeah. yeah. Outcome yeah. and hindsight. Yeah. These are, these are things when you see people go on tilt, it's, this these are why. the reasons. Yeah. These are why. This is why. Right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any other thoughts on hindsight before we move to the fifth one and then call it a pod? No, I think that's the best thing. And, and with all these, I mean, with all the first four, stay even keeled. Don't let yeah. one factor throw you one way or the other too far. Stay even keeled. Stay down in the middle of the road. Trust your shit. Don't get too excited about one thing or another, <laughs> and you'll do fine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, like like you just talked about, you just talked about tilt. I mean, yes, yeah, seriously. I think you know. I said these last two are going to throw you on tilt. All of these, all of these can throw you on tilt if if you're going to let them affect you. It's it's such a psychological game. Yep, for sure. So um, information bias. Yeah, Is let's talk about this one a little bit. This one's we talked this about one's, that one before. No, we didn't talk about this one before, and it's it's. Um, it's a tricky one and maybe one for maybe the more experienced players to kind of think about like, um, what do you do with the data set? How do you, yeah, if you're bad at betting, turn it off because this one's, this one's betting <laughs> two one, I guess we'll say. <laughs> we jumped. Call some we jumped. Yeah. We jumped. We yeah. jumped, uh, no, we jumped to grad I mean, school from kindergarten uh, here. I don't know. What do you think? This is, no, this is, I think you can simplify this one down. It's, uh, to like the paralysis by analysis. Sure. I mean, that's how I think of it. Just sometimes, sometimes you you can go the opposite way. It's like I just said: stay down the middle of the road, even keel. Don't go too far in either direction on one thing or anything. And you know, while you should be doing due diligence, doing your handicap, doing your research, taking taking in every tiny bit of information out there from every single source isn't probably going to do you do you all the the good in the world like you, you yeah. need to know how to siphon through information and take what what you've found to be predictive and use that going forward because yeah uh, you know some sometimes there is too much, there's a such thing as too much information absolutely and letting it affect your handicap negatively did we talk about the green fallacy did we talk about the green lumber fallacy last time? Because this is where this marries in, in my opinion. We the, didn't, but I, God, I love this. The guy, the guy was murdering. I, I yeah, he and, murdered and trading green lumber. Yeah, this 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 was a story from what's the guy named Nassim Taleb had a had a, a book several several years ago now, and there was a very famous story in the book about uh, one of the most successful commodity traders was trading green lumber, um, and you know he had a put it together a career of just being a successful trader in the space. Uh, and then after it was all said and done, somebody was interviewing him and he's like, oh, I thought green lumber was wood painted green, not fresh cut lumber. And so basically it was just kind of an example of like, he was reading the market, he was timing his entries and exits perfectly based on how market yeah, activities were, you know, and, and his data that he 
that he determined was valuable. Uh, and he had completely locked apart, you know, locked away, like the actual, you know, kind of understanding of what he was doing. And it actually helped him become a more successful trader in this space. And I think we see this a lot in the NBA playoffs, a lot in the NFL playoffs. Um, there are people who I go to for information about the NBA who I want to hear their take on why something happened, why an out, why, why a game went the way it went, what were the key plays that a team couldn't, you know, couldn't stop or could stop, and and why did you know why why are you know did why why did what happened happen really? And there are very 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 good sources of information for that there. And then a lot of times those people can evaluate because they can see the game better, they understand the game better, they can they know oh my gosh like every time they went to a pick and roll and they switched onto this defender, he had no chance of stopping this player. You know, like they can point that stuff out. A lot of times those people are also then turn around and turn out to be very poor at forecasting. And there's lots of reasons for this. I don't exactly have like, would, a yeah, strong thesis I, for this. I, I did want to say that like there are former players or people that were in certain other spaces who are great at forecasting, great at handicapping, great at predicting things, but just be, and this is the, this is the green lumber fallacy. And I think it does tie in nicely with information by SM grad. You brought it up. There's people who had very successful careers in pro sports, whether playing, coaching, managing, whatever, that are just God awful at betting. And I'm not going to be picking on any former offensive lineman here or, <laughs> I mean, it, it can even be someone who just, you know, it's like the, the guy didn't know shit. Knowing a lot about lumber and knowing a lot about the lumber markets are two different things. Knowing yeah. a shitload about football, actually being immersed in it for most of your life, and then actually playing the NFL markets, those are two separate worlds. And exactly. certain people have found that out. And, or like even any sport, just because you know a lot about a sport is not going to make you good at reading the markets. I mean, the, the, there's a, I can't remember his name, it's certain wanker from England who thought he knew everything about tennis and he turns out he didn't know anything about <laughs> bankroll management. Like uh, that, that could have told you tons and tons. Yes. You know, you can yes. see, you see people that do this. They'll write, they'll write 10 page write-ups about a play and it'll be really well informed, really well written, really informational. But they're losing betters just because they are overthinking. Oh, God damn it. I just thought of this guy right now. Yeah. And yeah. Like, he's the perfect example. I'm not going to pick on him because there are other people. Like there, there's, a, there's groups of people like this. But I'm not yeah. saying anything yeah. against write-ups. I love a good write-up. But there are people who overthink it. They go too deep in their own head. They think they know so much about a sport. And, the, you know, it turns out they don't know shit about the market. Or yeah. in that case, staking. And, and also like, and also there's, there are, there are other things that go into this too. If you're not a good forecaster, a lot of it could be, okay, just because you understand tennis shots, especially well, just because you know, off the top of your head, who classifies as a two-handed backhand, who classifies as a, you know, somebody who likes to play the drop shot, blah, blah, blah. You know, just because you know that doesn't help you necessarily in a forecasting framework put it to use right like you know you could because it's not like that's the key right it's not like that specialized information that you hold tells you you know that oh the dog has value in this and you need to bet it now because it's a, the price they hung was wrong and it's gonna move 50 cents right like that doesn't help you knowing what you know what types of shots certain players prefer um and so it's it's you know and, and this I, I would assume this goes for you know, for the likes of our uh, our offensive lineman friend as well. Like, like just because you can <laughs> watch the game Sorry, and just because you can read and watch the game and know that, oh, this is, this is why something happened uh, doesn't help you then price the next game accordingly and, in fact, can kind of lead you down the wrong road sometimes. And, it's, it's, and, and oh, by the way, the fact that you have self-proclaimed expertise doesn't help you either. Right. I mean, the fact that you have kind of crowned yourself as someone with knowledge uh, can, you know, can. Yeah, maybe 100% we don't play want to add another one. Bias. Overconfidence we bias. About, <laughs> I know we, we talked about that yeah. last time, too. But, yeah, it's it's absolutely a thing. It's 100 percent a thing. Like yeah. you can and, tell and again, yourself like, like I, that, I just, what you have. I just, is yeah. Good. yeah. 
my diatribe there about picking on a couple people, like I don't want to, I don't want to misconstrue. It's not bad to know a bunch about a sport. Sure. You, you, you know, that, that, that lumber trader guy, that's a, that's an anomaly. That's just a really fucking custom made example to, to really, you know, illustrate, illustrate the principle, but you know, knowing about the sport is helpful knowing everything about the sport and letting it, you know, letting it affect you, uh, you know, by, by taking in too much information or having too much confidence based on the fact that, you know, you have the knowledge can affect your handicap negatively and yeah, even keel baby. Yep. 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 All right. Well, let's put a bow on this. Let's watch the end of this, uh, end of the Celtic season here. Uh, looks like they are D E D dead. Jesus. They are dead. Uh, hopefully, this under still hits because yeah, they looked. You know what? But Boston Knights, they looked real good in game close. one. You'll always have game one. You'll always have game one. Um, and they, and, uh, game they one. got they got an incredibly favorable whistle in the first half, and the fact that it was a two point game should have been a tip off to unload on the Bucks at halftime. But I digress. Um, Andy, talk to you on Wednesday. I think so. Okay. Cool. Let's figure out what to talk about. Signing off. Cognitive <laughs> right, biases. Part, part two. Dua. In the books. All right. Good job by you. <laughs>